Well, this is the third and final week of our mini-series on marriage and relationships, which we've titled Happily Ever After. On the first week, we looked at God's design as it relates to the unique and different roles of husbands and wives. Last week, we looked at unity in marriage, how you can get it, and what it really looks like. And if you missed either of those teachings, you can go back and listen to them on our website at mynewhope.ca. This week, we're taking a look at sex. Well, not a literal look, sorry guys, but rather a scriptural look at sex. We're going to look at God's plan for it and why it's so much better than anyone else's. We're also going to look at the greatest danger to having a great sex life and the most important principle that leads to a great sex life. When I first got married, I thought sex was a big part of marriage, but I was wrong. It's much more important than that. This is the first fill-in on your outline. God created sex to be the highest form of physical intimacy possible between a man and a woman. God created sex to be the highest form of physical intimacy possible between a man and a woman. Think about that statement. Sex is as intimate as it gets on a physical level. It's the pinnacle of closeness. There's no higher level. There's no higher gear you can go to. God designed it as a gift to married couples, something that that would be theirs and bind them together, a shared experience that would be only theirs. It's as intimate as you can get on a physical level. And as we're going to find out today, God values sex in his design more than our culture does. You might think that our culture values sex more because they talk about it so much all the time, but the truth is God holds the importance of sex on a much higher, sacred, profound level than our culture does. Our culture actually seeks to make sex less important and less valuable than God does. In Genesis 2.24, it says this about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We know that one of the levels this verse is speaking to is the sexual relationship, because in 1 Corinthians 6.16, Paul, who many of us know wrote most of the New Testament outside of the Gospels, writes this. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So the issue is one of of sacred math. When there is one person that you are joined to sexually, you have 100% sexual unity. When you've been united with two people on a sexual level, there is now 50% sexual unity. Four people... 25% sexual unity, and on and on and on it goes. If you've messed up in this area, I want you to know that God can do a healing work. But I also need to be honest. It's going to be a challenge for you. You're going to have to work through some issues and obstacles that God never intended or desired you to have to work through. Hear me on this. You will get through it. God still has good things planned for you. He's a God who heals. He's a God who restores. He's a God of new beginnings. But the only way you can experience God making all things new in your life is to start living according to his plan right now. 
Because his plan for all of us is that we wouldn't have to deal with any of that. His plan is that we would have 100% sexual unity with our spouses. That it would function as a type of glue in the marriage to hold everything together. The next fill-in on your outlines is this. God created the male sex drive to motivate men to be better husbands. God, in his infinite wisdom, put a sex drive in men that causes the average male to need sex approximately every 72 hours. Now, there's various factors, obviously, that can change that number, but on average, it's about every 72 hours. If you're a single man, you might be thinking, that's baloney, it's every 7.2 minutes. But that's not actually the truth, even if it feels that way. God wired men to need sex about every 72 hours, and that is a wise God at work. Now, why do I say that's wise on God's work? It's wise because married men, you'll know what I'm talking about. Most women don't have a switch, you may have noticed, on their back that you can flick marked sexy time. It would be great if you could just walk over, but there's no switch like that. I've done the research. It's not even coming down the technological pipeline. There is no sexy time switch on the back of your wife. So at a minimum, they need to be in a place where they can tolerate you if this thing is going to happen, right? Ideally, they need to like you a little bit if this is going to happen. So as men, we tend to get cranky and lazy and not always put the effort that we should into loving our wives to get them into the place where sex is going to happen every 72 hours at least. So every 72 hours now, we're confronted with making sure that our wives are in a state where they can at least tolerate us and stand the idea of having sex with us. So God built this in as a reminder every 72 hours to simply be nice and loving to our wives. So the idea is that we feel the drive rise up within us and our brain says, hey, this isn't going to happen if you don't do some nice things and stuff for her. And we go, oh, got it, got it. I need to be nice. I need to be nice. I need to be nice. And you have these sort of situations take place where the wife says, honey, why are you vacuuming? And you say, oh, no reason, just because uh, just I love you. It's a good system designed by a wise, wise God to make sure that as husbands, we are loving our wives on a regular, consistent basis. Because if we're not, the sexy time switch is not getting flicked. It's just the truth. It all comes back to Paul's instructions to husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter 5. We looked at it in week one of this series. Husbands, you need to love your wives, and wives, you need to submit to the leadership of your husbands. Women crave the feeling of being loved, and men crave the feeling of being respected. In the realm of sex within a marriage, it means this. Husbands, love your wives and be nice to them, or this thing probably ain't happening, right? Wives, meet that need. Meet that need. The sex drive that God has placed inside of us men is there to motivate us to love our wives consistently. It's there to motivate us to work through issues. It's there to motivate us to forgive and let go. It's there to motivate us to humble ourselves and seek forgiveness when we need to do that. It's not just a sex drive issue. God has designed sex to be a marriage checkup system. Sex is a God-designed marriage checkup system. 
And let me explain to you what I'm saying here. It's the Holy Spirit saying, as a couple, you need to come together on a regular basis in the most physically intimate manner possible, and you need to renew your intimacy as a couple. It's God building in a regular checkup for your marriage because this need is coming up again in 72 hours or less. And every time that need comes up, you're confronted with the question, how's your marriage doing? How's your marriage doing? Is the two of you coming together a natural thing because there's no strife in your marriage? Or is this a hard thing? Or is this something that's not even gonna happen because there's an issue that needs to be dealt with? It's the Holy Spirit revealing that if there are barriers to you and your wife, you and your husband coming together, you need to deal with them because those barriers aren't just affecting your sex life, they're affecting your entire marriage and your entire family. Sex is designed by God to be the glue that holds your marriage together and stops great amounts of time passing by without issues being dealt with. Let's take a look at our core text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Flip there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 2, Paul writes, Because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Amen, amen, amen. I know some of you guys are with me on this one. Paul makes a couple of very, very important points. Firstly, when your spouse has a sexual need, you have an obligation to meet it. When your spouse has a sexual need, you have an obligation to meet it. Let me share this by way of analogy. Can you imagine a wife saying to her husband, I want you to promise me that you'll let me be the only one who ever makes you dinner. The husband loves his wife, and and so he agrees. He says, all right, I I will never eat anywhere other than this house. He comes home a few nights later, and he says, man, it's been a long day, and I am hungry. What's for dinner tonight? And the wife says, oh, I'm not making you anything tonight. We got a problem, right? We, We have a problem in this situation. It would not be right for that man to go and find food elsewhere because he's made that commitment. It wouldn't be okay. It wouldn't be excusable. But here's what you've done. You've sent him out of the house hungry, and when he drives past a fast food restaurant, it's gonna smell really good. Those fries are gonna smell uncommonly good. He might even drive around the block for a second smell of that incredible odor. You've sent him out the house hungry. So would he be right to go in and and grab himself a burger? No, he'd be breaking a promise. But you'd be setting him up for failure and at a minimum making his day a lot more difficult as he battles temptation. The point is that if you're going to ask for exclusivity in an area, including the sexual arena in marriage, you need to be willing to meet that need in exchange for that exclusivity. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verses 27 through 28 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I will give it, when you have it with you. So the Bible is saying in Proverbs, you shouldn't put off doing good to your neighbor over something like a cup of sugar. If they need a cup of sugar and you got it in your closet, don't tell them to come back the next day. Give it to them. Help them out. So how much more should this issue apply to your spouse when they need some sugar? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got a cupboard full of sugar. And if they need some, you promise that you're going to be the only place they go to get it. So give them some sugar. They need it, and you're the only one who can really give it to them by God's design and by the commitment that you've made to one another. Let's not put off doing good to our spouses, amen? Now, wives, hear me on this. Hear me on this. Sex is not a bargaining chip to get your way. It's not something to hold over his head, and it's not something to abuse to try and control him. And I'm speaking to the woman because let, let's just be honest, guys. There, there's not really a lot of marriages where the wife is telling the husband, I need more sex. And the husband is saying, well, maybe if you did some vacuuming, you could have some of this sweet stuff. That situation isn't really playing out a whole lot. But here's what I want to say. God did not intend it to be a bargaining chip. To put things in perspective, wives, can you imagine your husband withholding love and affection from you in the same way. Can you imagine him saying, yeah, I'll tell you you're beautiful. I'll tell you I love you as soon as you're done the dishes. That idea seems disturbing and wrong, but I wanna let you know the truth. It is no less wrong for a woman to do the same thing to her husband and say, yeah, I'll do this for you as soon as you've done this for me. It's not a bargaining chip, and I don't think it's how God intended the marriage relationship to work as we serve and love one another. Paul also says simply that your body belongs to your spouse. And we're gonna get very real here. I hope you're not offended, but this is the God's honest truth. And you find that our culture has so much to say about sex. Our culture has endless ideas for you about how to have a good sex life. But today we're looking at what God and God's word says about how to have a great sex life. And God gets very real in this 1 Corinthians passage by Paul. Paul makes the point that your body belongs to your spouse. Have you ever considered the implications of that idea, the implications of that statement? Here's what it comes down to. Your greatest motivation for taking care of your body shouldn't be you. It shouldn't be your self-esteem. Your greatest motivation for taking care of yourself physically should be your spouse. It should be the fact that your body belongs to them and you are taking care of it in the same way that you would like them to take care of their body for you. It doesn't belong to you. So men, if, if your default appearance at home is lying around in your underwear with your gut hanging out and a wife beater on saying, oh, this is yours, baby, we got a problem. Ladies, woman, if your default appearance at home is sweatpants and no makeup, and saying, come and get it. You got a problem. Now, now, hang with me. I'm not saying that y'all shouldn't have a day every now and then where you relax and just enjoy being yourselves. What I am saying is that there's great danger in over time changing your life 
and your physical appearance into a pattern where you get dressed up more for everybody else than you do your spouse. You can very quickly find yourself in the place where you put no effort into your physical appearance at home and your attractiveness physically at home, but you'll get dressed up if you're going to the doctor. You'll check yourself in the mirror if you're going to pick up the kids at school. You'll make sure you're looking sharp before you go to the office. You will get dressed up and put more effort into your appearance for anybody other than your spouse, and that's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be because your body belongs to your spouse. And we're just being real this morning. We all have eyes. We're all physically attracted to our spouses. That's why most of us ended up with them. We were physically attracted. Don't think that that stops mattering in a marriage. It's important. Your body belongs to your spouse. So make sure that you're showing them that you care and love them by still caring about being attractive to them after you're married. That's not something that only matters before you're married. It's not just the bait on the hook and then you don't have to worry about it again. You hear phrases like continuing to date your spouse. I believe that one of the most important principles is continuing to care about being attractive to your spouse. It matters. It blesses them. It's realizing that your body belongs to them. And Paul tells us why this matters in verse 5. So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This approach will help guard your marriage against sexual temptation. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's not the ultimate solution. But if you will meet the sexual needs of your spouse when they have them, if you will remember that your body belongs to them and not to you, it'll go a long way in protecting your marriage against sexual temptations. A long way. God's design and plan for the sex life of every married couple is that it would be exciting, fun, and fulfilling long after the newlywed stage. Here's where everything we're talking about today comes together. God's design and the secret to a great sex life is exclusivity. Exclusivity. In God's design, every husband or wife is married to the greatest lover in the universe. Now, how is that possible? Exclusivity. When you come together with only one other person sexually, you have an absolute guarantee that the best sexual experiences of your life will be with that person. They can't be anything less than the best. You can't be anything less than the best if there's no comparison at play. That's God's original design, plan, and intent for sex. That's his original design and intent. On the flip side, comparison leads to dissatisfaction. There are so many marriages suffering from sexual dysfunction because one or both spouses wrestle with the question, am I as good as the last person? Am I as good as all the other people they've had sex with? And that level of insecurity is something God never intended for us to deal with. Is there anything in your life that's causing you to make comparisons where they shouldn't be made? And you might be here today, and a lot of us in the room have probably messed up in the area of sexual purity. But here's what I want you to take from this. I want you to say, man, man, I've blown it, but God can do a restoration-type work in my life. God can do a healing-type work in my life. But what I do want you to recognize is to realize, wow, I can see that God's ways are best. 
I can recognize that his way is better than the way that I have chosen for myself. And if you can recognize the principle that God's ways lead to life, that God's ways are best, you can start living in them right now and begin to experience the life that comes from living according to God's designs. Be wise enough to say, yes, I can recognize that that way is better. I wish I had done it. You can't go back and change it, but you can start living according to God's ways right now. And I want to invite you to do that today. Start doing that today. Submit yourself to God's leadership in your life today. Is there anything in your life that's causing you to make comparisons where they shouldn't be made? For men, that's what porn does. Why can't she be more like her? And here's what I want you to know. For women, I really believe that a lot of the equivalent of pornography for a lot of women is romance novels and chick flicks. And here's why. Because it creates an ideal type man that doesn't really exist. You know, Ryan Gosling is not actually like the character Ryan Gosling plays in The Notebook. And if you're wondering why you feel this incredible connection with the men in these chick flicks, if you're wondering why you find yourself thinking, why can't I find a man like that? If you find yourself thinking, oh, he's so sensitive. What is it about him that I just connect with? I'll tell you why you like that character. Because that character, that man is a woman. He's a woman. That's why you like him. He has feminine characteristics. He's sensitive like a woman. He's understanding. He's compassionate like a woman. They've taken female characteristics and put them inside the character of a sharp-looking dude. And so you go, wow, I wonder why I connect with this character so much. It's because that dude is a woman. That's why. And so women indulge in chick flicks and romance novels full of men who act like women and a lot of men love pornography because it's women acting like men instead of the way God intended them to be I want to encourage you to get rid of anything in your life that causes comparisons in this area there's enough of that around us all the time we don't need to seek it out comparison leads to dissatisfaction we don't think anything of regularly exposing ourselves to cinematic sex and nudity because we don't realize the damage we're doing to our marriage or our future marriage. We don't think anything of watching an HBO series that has nudity and sex on a regular basis. We don't understand that we're creating fertile ground for dissatisfaction through comparison. We're just adding one more comparison that we will be able to make to our spouse or our future spouse that will leave us dissatisfied we're just building up this catalog this long list of people that our spouse will not be as attractive as or as sensitive as and we need to get rid of those comparisons so that we can have great healthy exciting marriages we read earlier in genesis 2:24 that in marriage two people become one flesh We've talked in the previous weeks about the fact that there, there are some needs that only God can meet even when you're married and that you need to have God meet those needs rather than putting that pressure on your spouse. But there are needs that God has designed us to meet for one another in a marriage. Sexual needs, intimate conversation, encouragement and affirmation, kindness and love, service towards one another, just to name a few. Marriage is a commitment that even when it's easier to have your needs met elsewhere, you will choose to have them met in your marriage. You've made the decision to have your needs met 
in your marriage, even when it's harder. You have forsaken all other options in the marriage commitment. In marriage, men choose porn because we're lazy. It's too much work to be loving to our wives. So we go and we take an easier path to have a need met that requires less effort. We're choosing to have our needs met outside of the marriage. When a married woman finds meaningful conversation with someone other than her spouse and begins to have that need met outside of her marriage, she too is taking the easier path instead of doing the hard work of creating intimacy in her marriage. But marriage is about the commitment that even when it's hard, we'll choose to have our needs met inside of our marriage. If you have an itch that needs scratching, let your spouse know, communicate. And if your spouse shares that itch with you, you need to scratch it. Don't wait for someone else to come along and offer to do it for you. Let your spouse know what you need. And when your spouse lets you know what they need, you need to respond. Because you've asked them to only have that need met in this relationship, in this marriage. And if you've asked for that, you need to be committed to meeting those needs. Exclusivity creates sensitivity. And I'm talking about the good kind. Exclusivity creates sensitivity. Many of us know that in the 1800s, piano legs were often covered with fabric because the shape of the piano leg reminded men of a woman's exposed lower leg. It's unbelievable, right? And they found that very exciting and arousing. And that's why a lot of pianos today still have skirting on them. It goes all the way back to the 1800s and, and an issue of modesty. What we should take from that is not, wow, I guess every guy in the 1800s was a perv. What we should do is realize the truth that a lifestyle of modesty makes one more sexually sensitive and that leads to a better life. I know a lot of married women who would love it if all they had to do to drive their husbands crazy was expose a little ankle, a little calf muscle. That would be great. Most women would love that. But we're so desensitized because of the culture we live in. Here's one that I can't even fully wrap my head around. If you were in the mall and you were in a clothing store and a dressing room door accidentally flung open and there was a woman there in her underwear, she would be mortified. She would be mortified. But later that same day, that same woman may go up to the lake and wear a bikini which covers the exact same percentage of her body and will put it on full display for everyone to see. Rationally, there is no difference between most underwear and most bathing suits. And we go to the lake and we're confronted with this. And it's normal in our culture. And the result of that is that we're so sexually desensitized. There's such a lack of modesty in our society that things which were meant to be exciting to husbands are no longer exciting simply because we're so desensitized. And we're repeatedly confronted with things which enable us to make comparisons that aren't healthy and set us up for future dissatisfaction. We're consuming nudity and sex in our media culture at a nonstop rate. And so I want to encourage you 
to become ruthless about sexual purity in your own life. Not so that you can be a prude in your married life. Not so that you can be a prude in your married sex life. But so that it would be off the charts, wild and crazy and amazing and spectacular. The way God intended it to be. Get rid of comparisons. Get rid of the things that desensitize you. And you'll find that you have an incredibly exciting sex life. The closer you get your lifestyle to God's instructions and God's design and God's intent. We're going to close today by spending a little bit of time talking about the epidemic of pornography in our culture. I believe it's probably the greatest danger to great sex in healthy marriages. Here are some things you need to know about porn. Over half of all church-going men and over 20% of church-going women consider themselves addicted to internet porn. Not just that they viewed it, but they consider themselves addicted to it. And that's just the percentage of people that were willing to put that down on a piece of paper. I think the real percentage is much higher. We've already talked about the fact that it desensitizes you sexually. It's also progressive, like any addiction. The same things that excite you today won't excite you for very long. And in the realm of porn, you need to become more perverse, more hardcore, more twisted just to keep getting the same rush, just like any addiction. Very soon, you'll find that normal human sex with your spouse just doesn't cut it anymore for you. Even secular scientists are finding that it rewires your brain so that you are now programmed to be turned on by porn and not even by a real woman. Just like an athlete trying to develop muscle memory, a basketball player who tries to take every shot the same way, a golfer who tries to take every swing the same way, a pitcher who tries to pitch every ball with the same motion, developing that muscle memory. Pornography reprograms your brain so that it now thinks sex is something that happens on a computer. You might get into bed with your spouse and your body and your brain will say, what is this? This isn't sex because sex is on a computer. Where's the computer? Additionally, you begin to program yourself to associate sexual satisfaction with the internet. Here's a mind-blowing stat. Over 68% of all divorces happening today are related to affairs that started over the internet. Old friends reconnecting on Facebook, an anonymous hookup, that sort of thing. I'm blown away by how many godly men reconnect with women they knew long ago on Facebook. Why? Why? There's only one reason. You're not looking for more friends. You're reconnecting and talking because you saw their photo and they looked good. It's flirting. It's flirting. You're doing something online that you would never do in real life just because something is different about the fact that it's online. One of Satan's great deceptions that he uses with all addictions is making you think that you're being free and wild and independent, that you're a rebel, you do what you want when you want, you're a rule breaker. But the truth about any addiction is that you're a slave. And if you've ever been addicted to anything, you know this, you are in chains to your addiction. It owns you. It brings you down to your basest instincts and impulses, turns you into an animal. You are a slave to that addiction. You're not a rebel. You're not a rule breaker. You are owned by that thing. And that's the great deception of addiction to porn. Men, you will never have a truly great sex life if you have a porn addiction on the side. And here's what I want to say to the women who are here today. Every man 
struggles with the issue of lust. If you're here and you're a single woman, run away from any guy who tells you this is not an issue for him. Run away from any guy who tells you he's over it and will never have a problem with it again. He's lying. What you want is a man who is honest about it and says, yes, it's a struggle for me, so here's what I've done about it. Here are the concrete steps I've taken to walk in holiness. Joseph was an Israelite who ended up in Egypt. And through the providence and favor of God, he ended up as the head servant of the household of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a rich guy, probably a little chubby because he had so much influence and power. He didn't really need to keep it together on a physical side. He had money. He had notoriety. So Joseph ends up in this guy's house. And Joseph is a sharp-looking dude. And one day, Potiphar's wife, who was probably beautiful, comes to Joseph when no one is around and very subtly, not, says to him, come to bed with me. And the Bible says Joseph turned and ran out the house. Now, he didn't run because she was ugly. I believe Joseph ran because he looked around and recognized all the factors were in play. There was a beautiful woman throwing herself at him. There was nobody else around. He could probably get away with it. Everything was coming together to create a situation that he couldn't resist. Joseph had an honest understanding of his own sexual weakness, so he got the heck out of there. In the 90s, there was a big men's movement called Promise Keepers, where tens of thousands of Christian men would fill football stadiums to listen to special men's speakers talk about pornography and sex, which is pretty much what every single men's event is about. (laughs) And uh, they would have athletes come in and lots of crying, lots of repentance, lots of men hugging. And here's what a study found. A study found that over half of the men who attended a Promise Keepers event viewed internet porn within 24 hours of getting home from the event. And at least a third of them viewed some type of pornographic material in their hotel rooms while they were at the conference. And the reason I share that is to make the point that hugging other dudes while you cry tears of repentance will not fix this issue in a man's life. It takes two things. Honesty about your weakness and practical steps to protect yourself from sinning practical steps what are you going to do what are you going to do about it for me every type of computer that i own has some type of accountability software on it and my wife gets reports that let her know what i've been looking at online i have similar software on my ipad and my phone and if i ever think about think of a way around any of these things i let her know asap my wife is free to check out my phone anytime she wants likewise my facebook my email you name it she knows all my passwords And I share this to let you know I understand my own weakness and I understand that in the right situation, I'm probably gonna sin as well. So the best thing I can do is try and protect myself from those situations by eliminating those options. So men, when you're sick of being enslaved to sexual sin, you'll start building walls to protect yourself. The Bible says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, the Bible says, if you're really sorry about something, it will show up in the way you live your life. It'll show up in the steps you take to make sure it doesn't happen again. It'll show up in the efforts you make, the practical efforts you make to walk in holiness. 
Know your own weakness and build walls of protection accordingly. One thing I've realized over time is that immature Christians tell themselves it'll never happen to me. Mature Christians are like Joseph. They understand that in the right situation, they'll probably sin. So they do everything possible to avoid ever being in those situations. Godly men like Billy Graham have some of the strictest guidelines in place I've ever heard of. They, they pretty much won't ever let themselves even be alone with any woman other than their wives. They'll never counsel a woman alone. They'll never end up in a car with a woman alone. Now, now you got to be thinking, is that really an issue for Billy Graham? Is Billy Graham really going to jump somebody? Is Billy Graham even physically capable of jumping somebody? That might be the most sacrilegious thing I think I've ever said. But Billy Graham is not a threat to do any of those things. I share that out of admiration for the man because he has an understanding of his own weakness. He has an understanding of who he really is deep down. He understands who he is. And he loves Jesus and is serious enough about following Jesus to put guidelines in place in his life to try and not sin, to do everything he can to not sin. He's not doing it out of legalism. He's not scared if other people think he's weird. He cares more about being righteous, about living for God with holiness than he cares about what anybody thinks. And so men, are you being honest about your weakness? Women, are you being honest about your weaknesses? Are there some walls that you need to build in your life to protect yourself from temptation? Other people might think you're a bit of a prude, but we're called to care more about being right before God than we are about being right before people. And so, in closing, I want to tell you, if you're married, if you're married, God wants you to have an amazing and great sex life. And the key to doing that is exclusivity. It's about getting rid of every other option in your life and making sure that every need you have is met inside of your marriage. You might need to build some walls. You might need to cut some things out of your life. If you're single, I want to encourage you. Set yourself up for a great marriage with a great sex life in that marriage by removing things from your life that are creating comparisons now. If you will do things God's way, you're going to have an amazing and exciting marriage one day. Give your life to God and submit yourself to doing things His way and you will end up with an amazing, fulfilling, fun, and exciting sex life in your marriage because as always, God's ways are best and God's ways lead to life.